Hello and welcome to The Nod, a mindful motorcycle podcast. Once again, we'll be diving into the archives of our own adventures and experiences, catching up on recent goings-on in the bike world and welcoming another guest into the den of egos. I don't want a pickle Just want to ride on my as we venture through the rich world of bike culture and subculture, we will delve into themes of well-being and mental health as we look to normalise and empower conversations and action around mental health. I'm Ben Bowers, and I'm joined by Charlie Borman, as ever. But we are missing the third spoke of our dysfunctional triangular wheel, as Ant is currently somewhere in central Germany on the Nürburgring, probably writing off his BMW. Right You'll now. definitely have a story to say about <laughs> some disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for this week's episode, we're joined in the studio by one half of the Brothers English, a pioneering duo bringing watchmaking back to the UK manufacturing industry with their company, Bremont Watches. Hello, Nick. Ooh. Welcome. Hello. Good to see you guys. It's the first time you've met, isn't Benj- it, Nick? Yeah, I don't know you at all, Charlie, so this is <laughs> going to be a really difficult conversation. we go back about 16 years, but... Well, we'll, we'll get into that, won't we, yep. in due course. Well, it's great to have you here, Nick. Thank um, you for having how me. How are things with you? How's life at the moment? They're all really good, all really good. It's been quite an interesting couple of years, hasn't it, With for everyone. There's been a lot happening. We haven't been standing still, which is good. You say it's been interesting the last couple of years because, because there has been a few different businesses which have done really, really well during lockdown. Actually, I've got a good mate of mine who runs Brompton and sometimes think perhaps we should be making bicycles yeah. because he can't make enough. I think the watch industry's done okay. It hasn't done badly, but I think people during lockdown had a bit of time on their hands and not all, but some saved money and they put it towards something which they felt was going to last them a long time. And some of those things were watches. So we did, we did okay, but it was hard because we have our own boutiques. We obviously sell through a number of other boutiques and one day woke up and all of them had to be shut. So, God, can you know, I imagine what that must have felt like, you know, as you know, owning your own business and then suddenly just one day. But I think so many people had mm-hmm. that. You know, the, you know, we do, obviously, as you guys do, a lot with the leisure industry and a lot of companies had a, you know, a tough time. But it, but it was interesting how people ducked and weaved and got through it and innovated along the way. So we had to do a bit of that as well. I think that's always the case. Those that can pivot, those that can be nimble... And, and react quickly yeah. tend to do well. It's those that, you know, if you just panic and shut down, then, mm. then nothing's going to change for you. So you've got to turn yeah, it uh, somehow. And as well as that, I think, I think companies and stuff who are struggling a little bit anyway, that always seems to not help one of these things, does it? There's a little bit of a cull as well, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it's which a good is, time to is, come out of it. And there's hard. a bit of luck, you know, yeah, depending on yeah, what industry you're in. You know, you yeah, can just well, be yeah. very unfortunate. But um, yeah, oh, to have been in the world of face mask manufacturing we met a very long time ago didn't we i remember you and giles walked into our offices in olympia it's a very cool yeah it was, sort of work, workshop your office there wasn't it, it was, really oh just amazing That'd be the proper ultimate sort of boys den wasn't it yeah, was that the original long way round office no yeah. not the original one it was the it was a long way down one when we moved and 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 basically the roller shutters would come up and and you could probably drive six cars into it and there were offices and stuff and on one side of it we had this whole kind of workshop area for the bikes and I mean it was just a really cool very place cool. and and um and so um you and I were knocking around with our bikes for the long way down and Nick and Giles came along we were literally it was the year back in 2006 7 when we were starting 
Bremel started 2002, but it was a sort of five-year process. And we're just about, you know, a few months off launching the watches. And we said to you guys, do you want to test these watches for us? And that's how it started, wasn't it? Yeah. And of course, I just looked and thought, free. So, uh, <laughs> Which is so unlike you, Charlie. <laughs> so unlike me. Yeah. What I didn't realise was that was that the watches that you lent us for the, for the trip were one of the few watches that had actually been made. So you weren't in full production yet, were you? No, no, it wasn't until July that year. So yeah. we, I think we met you March, April. Mm. And then off you went on your trip. And we didn't launch the watch is still July, August that year. So, God, so you sent Charlie and you in off into yeah, Africa with your prototype. Blind leading the blind. Heading back. But you learned a huge amount, actually. Yeah. It's really good because, you you know, four months on a motorcycle, you're making mechanical watches. You only make chronometers. You only make sort of the highest sort of echelon of mechanical watches. And you are you can test a watch till you're blue in the face in, in, in the workshop. And you did. It took five years. But actually strapping it to the likes of Ewan and Charlie heading on a motorbike for four months, you know, with the vibrations mm-hmm. and the falls and everything else you go through. By the end of it, you're, it gives you a huge amount of confidence. Yeah. Your strap line, is that the right term for your business, is tested beyond, tested beyond endurance? Yes, yeah. 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 And, uh, and you can see Charlie's pretty much tested beyond endurance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's showing he's crashed <laughs> so many times with, with these Bremont watches on. Um, actually, in this one that I'm wearing now, I've had a couple of massive crashes in. Just, I suppose, for anybody who, who who's listening who, who doesn't quite know about your company, Bremont, it's a really interesting backstory. Could you just fill our audience in a little bit about how Bremont yeah, started? So I set up Bremont 2002 with my brother Giles, but our background very quickly came uh, love of all things mechanical, similar to you guys. But from an engineering perspective, our father's an aerial engineer, went to Cambridge, did his PhD there as well. And we spent the whole time as kids growing up in the workshop making things. So we're storing old planes, motorbikes, uh, which we talk about in a bit, cars, airplanes, we still fly. Bird clocks are one of the things he's mm. passionate about. The other big passion in life was flying, historic aviation. We were all sponsored through university by the Air Force, but he took us to a lot of air shows. And so he did a lot of air show flying. And then Giles and I and our team started doing a lot of that. I was then involved in a nasty accident with him in... 95 practicing for an air display where our father died and I broke 30, 40 bones. And that for Giles and I was a bit of a tipping point in our lives, which having worked in, always thought we were going to join the Air Force, ended up going to the city. And then this, this accident just sort of made me think actually life is rather short and ended up working with my brother. One of the things we're very, very passionate about was something we talked through with our father at length was there is this most incredible history of British watchmaking. You look at any watch, it doesn't matter if you're wearing a Rolex, an Amiga, or whatever, 50% of the innovation in that watch would have come from British shores. And then you go back a couple hundred years, then probably 50% of the world's clocks and watches were being made in this country. Mm-hmm. World sets its time by Greenwich. You know, we lost it gradually through two world wars. You know, and which, unions and, and... Unions and, and efficiency. Switzerland had machines. Exactly. And, 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 and they mechanised the whole thing. And yeah. so... Long story short, everything Bremel's about now, and you can come to Henley and there's a sort of state-of-the-art sort of manufacturing facility there where 35,000 square feet of watchmaking space, and it's all been about bringing watchmaking and the skill set back to the country because the last, I suppose, company to manufacture mechanical watches in any, I suppose, volume was probably Smith, Smith Industries. You know them from historic cars and things. In the late 60s, early 70s. So, So if anyone... 
fancies coming to have a look and you can see everything from case to movements to, you know, and images. I have to say, I've been there. I took a great friend of mine, Roy Boise, who's completely obsessed by, by watches and he, it looked like he was completely overwhelmed by by how amazing it is. And you go from engineering the cases to the to, movements, to, movements yeah. to, to absolutely everything. It's and you're machining to, you know, and it, you've got, you know, hair on your head is probably 60 to 100 microns and you're machining to two or three microns. And that's what's amazing and repeatability. So you've got to do it from time to time again. So, but it, what's lovely is you've got an incredible passionate bunch of three very quickly, which ties into this conversation, our three kind of pillars of this British engineering. So you work with some great partners in that so whether it's Rolls-Royce Aerospace or you know Williams or whoever Martin Baker made the ejection seats and that led to probably the next pillar which is probably 30% of our business is military around the world which we're very proud of and then the adventure side so this mm. tested on endurance is where of course Charlie you come in yes. and it's working with some incredible I've, guys and girls doing some amazing things around the world like Nims who just climbed you know the 14 peaks the 14 or, peaks I mean very, very nice watch as well the 14 peaks I was going to ask well. you about your ambassadors you seem to have this uncanny ability to pick the unknown adventurers that that then like Charlie. Yeah, but then yeah, yeah, well, yeah. for sure. That then mean, hit stratospheric levels. Like, you know, Nims was a relative unknown climber, climber at yeah. the time, wasn't he? And, you know, ex special forces, obviously you connected with with a lot of the guys there. But he was trying to do this ridiculous thing that nobody thought he could do. Mm. And and nobody would give him any money or support to go and do it. But but you found him and backed him but there's been other examples of people yeah I think someone like Nims who you know on paper you'd look at anything this is the most incredibly silly thing to do because probability wise you know if you add up all the mountains together the probability of being able to get through 14 8,000 meter peaks in six months is you'd have effectively if you did the probabilities died several times doing it because Mm. you know K2 is one in four chance of dying Everest is one in six you know, Mantelou is one, one, in th- one in three. You know, yeah. if you add those all together, it's just... Statistically, but he, yeah. But when you hear about, and you know these guys, he's ex-Gurk, ex-XBS, he, and you know some of the guys who know him, and you, you piece it all together, then you think, actually, if anyone can do it. He but it can, is, it's yeah. always a risk, of course but, it is. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in all of these peaks, you you spend a, quite a bit of time in what they call the kill zone, which is the death which zone, is, yeah. which is all the death zone, yeah, and, yeah. and and that affects your body tremendously. So you, you don't get enough oxygen, your your lungs start to fill up with with liquid. Yeah. It's, it's, so so and that's why it's 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 so difficult to continuously do all the peaks. Part of it boils down to physiology as well, because Claudio, our cameraman from from Long Ways, he went up Everest with these Marines, British Marines, who were the best of the best of the best. And two thirds of them couldn't do deal it. with it and no. couldn't deal with it. I, I Claudio think... was walking around. And he's fine. <laughs> had no problem at all. And he's fit, but he's not, you know. No, it's fascinating. But it's the combination of, you know, laying ropes down for K2 and then trying to get all the visas to go through, you know, well, the, yeah, shishpanga and stuff. The film about it is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. The, the Sherpa, Sherpa team, yeah, the, yeah. The, you know, the whole backstory about why he was trying to do it and to present the Sherpas in a positive light and give them the recognition they deserve was wonderful. And then, like I say, all of the challenges that they faced around avalanches, bad weather conditions, people not wanting to go up K2 and they, they blazed the trial and let, you know, It's a great film summit. to watch, It's just actually. an extraordinary... Achievement, but you know, Nims isn't the only no, extraordinary no, no, adventurer that that sort of tied with with Bremont. So, what, what is your approach to you know if somebody's listening to this thinking, I'm going to take on a ridiculous challenge and I, I need some supporters. Um, what what do you look for, and why is it important to you 
as a brand to to get involved in, whether it be transatlantic rowers or climbers or marathon ultra-endurance athletes or Charlie? I think the number one thing is, you know, Giles and I have this whole sort of saying where you only want to work with people you like. You know, I think it's uh, makes a, that makes a big difference. And, um, you know, people who are doing it for the right reason, I think, you know, when you sit down and you have a coffee with someone, you can see quite quickly what their motives are. And if they're, you know, generally doing something quite special, it's like Ben Saunders, um, mm. and you could, you know, he's done more polar miles than certainly any other British explorer, but he recreated Scott's route, you know, 1,800 miles on his, uh, you know, on on, on foot, Um he was the last guy to solo the North Pole from the continent. You know, he's an incredible guy. But you look at the detail that someone like Ben puts into equipment. So, you know, his toothbrush, you know, cut off the end of his toothbrush because that's weight. You know, the, the, the thing that the, the sort of multi-tools he designed out of titanium that would do the stove and do something else at the same time. And and they're just, it's a, it's a different mindset. And you can see the commitment. And, you know, instead of waking up one day and saying, I fancy doing this. It's it, often these guys have been thinking about it for for a long, long time, and the planning goes into that um, is quite remarkable. But they do have something that uh, you you know a lot of people don't, and it's and you you, you don't really you, you can't really explain it until you meet them. Yeah, it becomes everything about the the mental strength as well. Two of my favourite people who are doing something right as we speak. Uh, Anton Louis from Expedition Five. They're two Marines. Oh yeah. Louis suffered very, very bad PTSD during you know Afghanistan and elsewhere. Ant was his mate, and they said, right, we're going to walk across the five largest islands on the planet. So they did Papua New Guinea. They did Madagascar. They did Greenland. They Australia. Did, I suppose. Did, well, Australia's a continent, so they got <laughs> out of that one, which is quite lucky. But some pretty extreme places. There aren't many. People who have walked across Papua New Guinea and certainly lived to tell a tale. What was really interesting from that is these guys literally, very little budget, put on their rucksacks and went off and did it. And they've managed to do it. And the stories they've told, and but it's supporting some, you know, that people like that sometimes is, is quite special because you mm. see how much it means to them mm. and it inspires. How did you start biking? Was that because of your father? or? or? No, no, my dad, funny enough, was... Like most parents, didn't really condone motorcycling. I think it was one of these things where he said, you can get your thrills out of flying, you know, World War II aircraft. Or <laughs> you could fly a plane at 16 <laughs> but, years old yeah, but and fly for, around the world. For, but for him, it was, he was just, you know, what he did, you know, he would sit, I'd be 18, Giles would be 15, 16, and would go off flying this old 1940s aircraft around Europe. And the only stipulation for my father was, make sure you call your mother once a week. You know, that was... Back how many years ago? I can't believe. Talk, just mention that a little bit. So he said, well, we take learnt, this plane. We lived in a farm in Norfolk and we we learned to fly. We had a little strip there and we learned on this 1940s aeroplane. But it was a lot of fun. And Giles, when he, Giles, got into it as well, we used to do these little trips and you go around Eastern Europe. When Eastern Europe was opening up, you know, Lithuania and Denmark, you go to Spain, you go to... And you'd take off, and this is a, a compass... A, a watch and a map, but there's no GPS. That sort of dates me somewhat. They're just about to come out, you know, GPSs for for flying, um, for private pilots anyway. Don't know and we love the GPS. Oh, now, no, well. God, We're I don't know how you do it without it now. Imagine. But we had to. And you'd, you'd watch and a map, and you'd head from, you know, you'd take off from, you know, Cambridge, head down that way, and then you'd be trying to follow the right ferry across, you know, the channel to make sure you're going to Calais. And sometimes you're halfway across, you go, I think this is going to Ostend, Jai. <laughs> and, uh, but off you went and did these trips. And, yeah, our father gave us a huge amount of responsibility. But 
he wasn't as most parents are with he was slightly nervous about us getting into motorcycles yeah. so i didn't get into motorcycles until probably mid 20s and i bought Giles and I ran this old airfield for a, for a while and it was restoring old airplanes. And uh, this chap turned up one day on an old BSA M20. And he was a really old boy and he had two of them, him and his wife. And he said, she's stopping riding. She's getting too old for this. And I'm thinking of selling it. So I said, I'll buy it, you know, without even thinking about it. And I ended up buying this yeah, 1939 bike, which I've still got. And I ended up doing a bit of work on it and it still runs this day. And it's a, it's such a cool machine. And that sort of got me into it. And then I sort of gently sort of, obviously came off a couple of times in the middle of London. And I remember actually one That's time- just I was a rite of passage. It was actually yeah. not far from yeah. here. You know, you know the cinema with that, um, that flower stall, you know, the, is it the on ABC? The King's is, Road. On the King's Road. Yes. And I remember- Going along there on this M20, I was onto this, going to this meeting, and some pulled out in front of me, and I swerved, and the bike came off between me. And Do you like know, a, I've fallen off in that exact same place. It's quite because people yeah. cut in front of you, yeah. And the bike just carried on going, and like skittles, and went straight into that flower store <laughs> and knocked the whole thing over. And uh, anyway, so. Uh, yeah, I wasn't an expert, but you know, over time, the thing about motorcycling, you can tell people have done it when they're sort of in their when they're 10, 11 years old, which you were doing, and the people who are a bit older like me. But it's great fun and done a few adventures since then and on, you know, with Charlie and other people. So. Yeah, we've done, we've, done, we've done Africa together. We've done with, Africa. And with, um, Adrian Newey came along on that one. That was good fun, uh, that one. That was good fun, that. Actually, I got a, on the, the night before the tour started, I got a phone call from Mark Webber. And he said, he said, you know, Charlie, I just want you to know that you've got Adrian Newey with you and he's probably the greatest Formula One car designer of all time and I don't want you to kill him <laughs> and if anything happens to him it's your fault but do you remember we got lost that night <laughs> you- oh that was terrible that was terrible we, we, we went on a, on a detour in Botswana in Botswana in Botswana but instead of it, it, it was an island but and, and the, I suppose in the rainy season there's water but and it's just sand so Salt Lake isn't it almost yeah, Salt right. Lake and so we ended up in this sand and everybody just Got lost. Got lost on the way to this hotel. And we all sort of knew where the hotel was. But getting there was... was so you nearly was, lost it. Yeah, Red so Bull nearly lost it. Mean, Adrian, Adrian was, yeah, he was he turned up very dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> and all I could think was... was just Mark was Webber's Mark Webber. threats <laughs> in your ears. You wouldn't worry about us, were you? <laughs> <laughs> it was just Mark Webber. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it, was, it was lovely. Riding in Africa is But it's that feeling special. of freedom, isn't it? Mm. And that feeling of adventure. And there aren't many things left in these, this, this life we lead now where you can throw slightly caution to the wind and go off and feel that sense of adventure because everything else is so controlled, isn't it? And a yeah. motorbike, you get that. It's, yeah. it's the most amazing feeling. Mm. And motorbike and Africa, you know, the continent of Africa, there, there isn't anywhere left in the world where you can ride and you have to stop because 40 elephants are crossing the road or mm. you see zebra or you see, you know, everywhere else. I've travelled and and motorbikes in most continents, and and there are no wild animals. It should be on everyone's bucket list to do, you know... The Charlie Bournemouth Motorcycle Tour. (laughs) (laughs) It is truly amazing, and you feel, you know, that you've accomplished something at the end. When you had your plane crash and broke lots and lots of your bones, I mean, you still suffer a little bit from that, don't you? I mean, I know a number of years ago you had an operation to to sort your knee out at some stage and then you got an infection because of that and then there was you know you were back to rehabilitation again and and have you coped 
than you know, because you're, you're a pretty solid person. Yeah, no, do you know, I broke a lot of bones and I was very, very lucky. I didn't have any head or sort of major torso injuries or anything like that. Um, None that he can remember. Yeah, no, my Giles would say different. <laughs> you know, here we go. You haven't tried working with them. Listen, I think anyone, if you had a room of 100 people, you said, Look, who's been through a trauma in their life? Most of the people put their hand up, and trauma is all relative, isn't it? And it could be mm. mental, it could be physical. The horrific thing for for me was the my father was in the airplane, and that was quite hard. Mm. And he didn't make it. And then seeing my brother, you know, have to sort of keep the family together. You know, he left university for a year, pulling it back together. My sister was ten years old at the time. And how long was your rehab? Uh, quite a few months. Probably, yeah. I mean, just, uh, you know, it took a longer, long term, but, yeah. you know, to do your, your walk again. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, doctors always say, oh, yeah, then we're going to do this and you'll be walking again in a couple of weeks. And but I was quite stubborn. Like, yeah, I didn't want to go in a wheelchair. I didn't want all this sort of stuff. And, I, and I'm very, very, I still play tennis, I ski, I all these things. I'm very, very, very lucky. But I think it's a mindset where you think, actually, I'm not going to be affected by this. I'm just going to get back on the saddle and sort of like you've done so many times. Yeah. And, yeah, and you sort of don't let it stop you. But I'm sure deep down somewhere there's, you know, stuff that needs to... I mean, now I've got to the age of, right age of 50, you know, you end up going to the, the odd chiropractor and sorting things out, issues that you didn't know you had. And actually, you know, and do you think pretty that lucky. So. You're obviously, you know, a hugely resilient person and, and your brother as well, just from a, a professional point of view, if nothing else, to get Bremont to where it is must have been... Yeah, hugely challenging over the last twenty years, from from an idea to to what is now, a, you know, a British manufacturing icon. Let's be honest, um, there must have been challenges along the way. So you've you've clearly pushed through all of those challenges with this single minded desire to make Bremont a successful British watchmaking company. But do you think that was there before the accident and everything you went through with the loss of your father, or was that something that because and I asked because Giles obviously went through that. For on the on the outside of looking in, sort of obviously you both lost your father, but he wasn't in the accident as well. So did that bring you guys together? Were you close before? And how did everything? Well, we're look- very close. I think we was interesting enough. We both because um- I can never work with my brother, right? Not for a, a million years. Like within a half an hour, we'd we it just wouldn't work. Yeah, no, I don't. I think it's not an easy thing for anyone, but I. But Giles and I, we are very good mates. We give each other the space. You know, we have different social lives and things as well. You know, so it's not like we're on top of each other. But I think we both came out of the accident, which was in 1995, saying to ourselves or thinking, basically, life is short and we've got to go off and do something. And when I, I remember I was, uh, so I came out of uh, uni, I, I was going to join the Air Force and there's a delay in pilots and stuff. And I went into the city and Giles was doing something very similar. And I remember my boss at the time coming up to me and I'd been working all night and he came up and he said, and he's about 10 years above me in the company and sweating profusely, you know, on his third wife coming up to me and saying, look, Nick, um, bloody good job working all night. You know, if you keep working like this, you could be in my position in 10 years' time. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, holy shit, is this really what I want to do? So I rang up my brother and I said, Giles, I don't think this is me actually. I really, and it was a bit of a tipping point for me. And that, with the accident, Giles rang me back half an hour later and he said, Nick, I've resigned. I thought, oh, no, and the first thing I thought is mum's going to kill me because we finally <laughs> got my brother to do something sensible with his life. And then um, and we both left and we got involved with the business of strong aircraft and the rest is history. Really. But we suddenly, I think if you hadn't been through that day, that, that piece of trauma we went through together, 
we probably wouldn't have done that because life suddenly became really, really, really short. And well, it, it does. You throw it? caution I mean, to the wind of it. Yeah. I think. I think when you have a big trauma and you're you're lying there, your emotions become very raw, don't they? And for a period of time after the accident, you're you're still very receptive to. To, yeah. to emotion. You, you, Everybody always talks about that thing of, you know, life is really short. No, but it is, but time, and, and, you've, and you suffer falls less. I know it sounds awful, not not be sitting yeah. down and go, oh, I can't be, but you, no, but it's true. you don't want to waste time. I, you just say, yeah. actually, I'm not, you prioritise a lot more and you just, you know, yeah. your whole concept of what's important changes. So yeah, you say work with people you like. Friendship. Or- yeah, no, don't, don't work didn't with work this time. But don't work with dicks. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we ignored that one, didn't we? Didn't we? What was, yeah. Don't well, he's not so. here today, so no, <laughs> he's, give, he's given up Poor on you two already. Poor Ed. Hope he doesn't. Uh, no. He won't listen he's to probably, the episodes. He'll be fine. He's bent his car around the uh, the Nurburgring. Have you been around the Nurburgring? No, I was supposed to go off and do it in May. Actually, yeah. No, I've done quite a lot of laps uh, on a motorbike around the Nurburgring. And is um, it quite scary, or is uh, it not too bad? It is on a motorbike. Yeah, it doesn't appeal. It doesn't appeal to me. I've seen too many crashes. But, but, on it's, YouTube. Uh, but people still it is have... awesome. I love it. Uh, it's one of the. It's, it's just freaking. I've been around the carousel, which is the banked corner. You, and I'm That's the one they all in, crash. You on. drop in late on on that. Oh, just... A car you drop in a bit earlier. But the trick is to follow someone who knows what they're doing. Knows what they're doing. But yeah. I can't remember what we're talking about. And but yes, no. Well, hey, look, it's mm. you've you've been quite restrained in talking about yourself in this episode. So uh, it was <laughs> it was it was going to happen at some point, wasn't it? Yeah, it was going to happen. Yeah, the Charlie Borman show. I mean, there's just the so much I've got to say. And well, how about good. you, Charlie? You um, are you back on the mend with everything? You're, you seem to be doing all these things that you're doing before with after York. Yeah, I think like you, you're going skiing, aren't you? And you've got these mojos that that you wear, which What's takes the, the weight off your knees. Yeah, um, yes. it's the way forward and it's the way forward and, I don't know it's an age thing or just a knee thing I just blame it on my knee, knee thing. But, I but think it's, it's an age <laughs> knee thing I mean I think, I think I mean my knees weren't anything to do with my accidents but they were to do with just abusing my knees when in skiing when I was younger so I've seen your x-rays Charlie like it's pretty, yeah, pretty it's pretty <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a two year old's done a jigsaw I remember, <laughs> I remember when, the first when you had the accident in Portugal and I got yeah. that picture and I was in oh, the meeting was one of his ass and of your bottom yeah, came yeah, through yeah. and I remember I slapped my bum that, that, was, was, oh, that was very that was, that was the most bruising. painful part actually it was more painful than breaking my legs I think I'd been clipped off the bike and and I was hurtling towards, towards the, wall. the wall. I could see the sort of wall. And, oh, and for but, God's but, sake. Um, and I saw oh. this pavement. And I thought, oh, if I hit that. Anyway, <laughs> I glanced it with my ass. Oh, and, for and, how um, painful is that? And that oh. was the most painful thing um, I, it, I could ever imagine. I had imagine. to get my phone and look at it in about five <laughs> different angles to work out what it was the, the colour. It was like every colour yeah. of the rainbow, wasn't it? It was, it? It was extraordinary. But, but uh, anyway, thank you for sending but, that through. But, but, but I, think, uh, I, think, I think all of us, and, and, I, and I know you and, and myself, we all kind of have these residual injuries that they're things I can't do anymore. So, you know, I, I used to climb mountains a bit and I can't do that yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't run. Mind you, I never really ran much yeah, did before. Did you? Really, no. <laughs> And um, and there's just things. It's like walking uphill. I, I find a real struggle. So I'm sure you know you've got. You know. And I know. Listen, I'm I'm very lucky. I'm very very lucky. Touch wood. And you know, as I was saying, still do pretty much everything I was doing before. But you just feel a bit more old and creaky, don't you? But is that that really interesting bit around trauma awakening you to things? I don't think I had that. Because I'd left, I worked in the city as well. Well, I mean, I say I worked in the city. I was a headhunter. So I was headhunting newly qualified accountants oh, were you? out of oh, PwC. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I could have I I made you fat and miserable. <laughs> and third wife. Yeah. And third wife. And third yeah. wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, 
I just burnt out in the cell. I was working 11 hours a day, lived just around the corner in Fulham, you know, went out every night. Sunday nights were the biggest. But night it works of the week. for some people. Some and, people love it. Yeah. 25, I was earning, you know, nearly six figures and just burnt out and just not really. Well, that you're happy. one of those guys g- g- going out at lunchtime and buying 10 shirts with your. Did you. Well, I did worked you, on German Street, actually. A, so yeah, we worked did you, above. Did you have your little, your, your little um, cufflinks? Your, not the cufflinks, the, your little initials. Put onto your shirt. You know, well, you know, this was this was, this was the early two thousands. Did you? The tailor used to come to the office and measure us up for the shirts that had the initials uh, embroidered onto the cuffs. I was I was a. Well, we try not to swear too much. I was a I was a twat. Freely admit it. But I I had a beer with a, an old schoolmate and we were just chatting. I was like, oh, you know, I'm knackered. I don't really. I never loved doing recruitment. I don't know really what I want to do. And uh, he said, well, why don't you go and do a ski season? This was, I was 25. And I did. I well, that's the called time. called him up two weeks later. He's like, how are you doing? I was like, yeah, I've quit my job. and going to Maribel for a season. He was like, what? I was joking. I'm like, I'm doing it. I've done it. It's like, uh, but it those are the times. changed my life. You, you do know, have in, to. Yeah. In your 20s, those are the times to, to go, go and, do something fun. and try 20 different jobs. Yeah. You know, to, to do that. Because in your 20s, you can. And, and, and you don't have responsibility and, and, and stuff like that. And, and and it's only that way that you can really, really decide what and you can you tell with the do, advice really. you give your children, can't you? Because the advice I'm giving my children is just go off and do something you really want to do mm. rather than this, you must go and do X, Y, and Z. You've got to go and do this, you've got because to Because they'll find their own route. Why does anybody think that you have to find your ultimate job by the time you're 22 years old. Oh, absolutely I, I You just, still haven't, Charlie. Just, you, well, that's true. Yeah, I'm 55. <laughs> well, I'm still struggling. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I think, you know, I, th- I think you're right. Go out and do that because that's when you can do it. So, yeah. Um, I don't I, think, I think there's any, there's, there's any age. It's, it's, I think everyone's looking for that thing they're passionate about, aren't they? And, and trying to make that thing you love a career, you know, something you do every day and try and, you know, make a enough of a living out of it that it, it sustains the lifestyle you, you aspire yeah, to have, to, you yeah, know, and, and the idea. values you have. And it's about finding that, you know, I went from that, I had cancer, which stopped me going back out to the mountains because of the treatment I had and, and the checkups I had to have. So that I had to recalibrate my life and took a while and then like I say, ended up at November and, and found this, this amazing cause to commit 12 years, 10 years of my life too. Mm. But then in the 40s, we're now, you know, I left there, left November. I know, I thought I'd sneak that in. I'm so young. I'm really old. But you look at it though, but then, you know, Trying, we're trying to launch, you know, podcast. Podcast, yeah. Now and try and make a go of um, that. And the other thing, having I'm, fun doing it. Sorry, sorry. I was just, you know, just let no, me. I was finish. just getting bored. I was going to say, have you still got that triumph that you got in California? The purple. I one? did, I did. So, um, two thousand eight or nine, we lived with my family in LA for a bit, and you quite. I mean, you've done all that, but I, I didn't really know what to expect in LA. But I knew quite quickly, having got there. There's no way you could get around without a motorbike to get yeah. to any meeting in time because the traffic is so horrendous. You spend your whole day in a, on a, in a car. But motorbiking, the weather's amazing. You wake up every day, you feel alive. And I was looking at us wondering, do I buy an old police, you know, you know, chips type motorcycle, you know, from a police one. I thought that would be really cool. And uh, and I think at the time I didn't have the money or I had, well, there's some reason. 
And then I was walking past this um, pawn shop, as in P-A-W-N. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yes. and saw there. a bike to ride. <laughs> and in there was this 1970 Triumph T100C. So uh, 500, and I just... Purple. Purple. And it, it's sort of that's original. A, that's an original colour, isn't it? You know, it was the yeah. original colour. Yeah. And I just fell in love with it and it, I had to get it all sorted out and I spent three times obviously this value on on getting it working properly and people like Peter Hickman have taken it away when it's back in the UK and sorted it out for me but it's um, it's a really good fun machine and uh, but it's, it's actually it was quite clever that whole thing of riding in the canyons in, in Malibu canyons and riding in, in LA that all kind of especially with the Triumphs and the BSAs and the Nortons and stuff that all came from from that surfing culture. So you, you'd have all these surfers who would go and surf, and this is where Deus Ex Machina mm. has come along. They're very clever. And, yeah. and, 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 and done it very cleverly. Is because and the bike shed going there and, now. And the bike shed, shed going now is, is, is that they, that whole culture, if, you, if, if there wasn't any surfing, they'd be on the Triumphs and BSAs and bikes you had have, and, and, uh, and they'd be off riding in the canyons if there was no surf. And so that, that m- culture mix... Oh, and it was amazing, and, and, it, and it, it changed a huge amount of of how people looked at at motorcycling. And it, I don't think there's a better place to do it actually than over there. It's just so, as you said, the canyons and the yeah, just that weather is just brilliant. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty special. It's there, but then when you get yeah. a bit older, <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's like those the heated grips are mighty. Attempting and all that sort of stuff. seat as well is quite nice. And, and, and you, uh, you get one of these old brakes that work. Brakes that work and thing that, and a bike that starts. Yeah, a bike that starts so every the, time. There's yeah. all those sort of things that you start. Um, so you need this is where you need a, a quiver of bikes, don't you? You but need that's a what, few. Um, you yeah. and always said, you know, he's got quite a lot of old cars and stuff, and he goes out on them and stuff. And sometimes his kid goes, oh, no, 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 can, his kids say, oh, no, no, can we can we use the other car? Because you know, there's always an there's always a 10 or 15% chance that you won't make it to where you're going, you know. But but as well as that, with, with old bikes as well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got an old Triumph 59 Triumph Thunderbird and, and it's got drum brakes and, and they're, they're pretty rubbish. You know, and modern vehicles now stop so quickly. Yeah, you could be that, very careful. That yeah. You have to be so careful. You, it, it's just, you know, old bikes and old drum brakes. You, you, yeah. The amount of times I've been in traffic lights and I've pulled up beside a car and I'm just sitting there and I'm looking in and they're looking at me thinking What's he, why is he there on, on the inside or something it's only because my bike you couldn't stop I couldn't stop so I had to weave <laughs> around the other side and to have that extra couple of feet to stop I think you still get that I've just just given back the Royal Enfield Continental oh, yeah. GT650 that, that they'd kind of lent me for a while yeah. um, which is a, a, it, a really sort of fun cafe racer look yeah it's, like, yeah it's got the sort of the drop um, clip on clip bars on. and um, like the old Thruxton. Really fun bike, but again, just compared to my my daily ride, which is the Ducati Multistrada with you know double twin Brembo discs on the front and active ABS and the you know all the bells and whistles you can throw at a motorcycle stuck onto it. Then you go to just a bike with an engine and a single fairly small. But they have front both have disc. a place, don't they? They have because, a place, because, because, but, you, but very you quickly you realise it doesn't. It doesn't stop as quickly as the Ducati does, <laughs> and but, you, but ha- you or overtake as quickly. You really have to recalibrate your brain and your riding style mm. quite quickly, even on a you know fresh out the factory modern bike, yeah. which is fun and it's you know engaging for its own reasons. But that's what's nice, isn't it, about bikes? You know, you can have one quite expensive sports car, and for the price of one sports car, you can have about six or seven. Bikes. Really, really nice bikes. Yeah. You know, 
I saw a very special bike the other day. I was very kindly invited to a Triumph launch of a collaboration bike. Oh, did you, for the the guitars? The Gibson. Gibson guitars, sorry. Yeah, the the Spirit of 59. So they've just, uh, for the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, they've collaborated, Triumph have collaborated with Gibson, two iconic brands from 1959 when they launched the T100 Bonneville and the Gibson Les Paul Special. And they've uh, created this amazing bike and new Gibson, new Triumph. Um, a bike with double humbucker pickups on it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a brand new Bonneville. It's all in support of the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, right. who are big supporters oh, coming of along. ours. 22nd, the 22nd, Sunday the 22nd. 22nd of May. Yeah. You should come down to the, we're doing the one in, um, in Guildford. The, where you, where the you London doing? one is so passe nowadays. Well, you know, the, the Guildford Is this just because you've moved yeah. down there? Yeah. No, it's, right. <laughs> well, no, it's actually quite, it's, it's a nice it's ride more, because there's no traffic lights, which is actually really quite nice. It's so more because can, I organise the London ride and, you know, he just likes to... Yeah, yeah. You should come down to the Guildford one. No, no. It's quite fun. But the most important thing is the highest fundraiser globally wins the Gibson Triumph and oh, the guitar. Well, that probably So you win the bike Gilford, and the guitar, one-off, cool. special, and they'll ship it anywhere in the world. So that's a pretty cool prize that and, a, is, and well, a pretty yeah. cool collaboration of two well. It is a great brands. cause. Well, you know, you've got two people who, who have directly benefited from the money that they spent in the and the um, mm. the all research proceeds. they've done for testicular cancer and the way it's treated and all that kind of stuff is is directly because of, of what they've done. I mean, how much have they raised over over that one point something billion or something ridiculous money? Or uh, no. November, yeah. yeah, November have raised over a billion dollars no. over the lifetime. But yeah. the the distinguished gentleman's ride who support Movember have raised in ten years now thirty one million dollars. Yeah, so Movember has raised over, over a billion. billion. Yeah, I know yeah. it's crazy. That isn't is it? incredible. Crazy. Good, I remember, you know, JC guys. and the guys. I, I remember I, we, we 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 got involved with them, and I got involved with them quite, um, yeah, long, quite a number of years ago now. Yeah, it would have been two thousand and ten. Guys, yeah. yeah, amazing people. But that is amazing. One last question, really. We we try to sum up each episode if we can with with a little takeaway. Damon Hills was was a good one talking about writing a letter to his younger self was a, a good process. What would be sort of the one thing that you've learnt and that you maybe apply on a day to day basis? Okay, in business, one that sticks out more than anything else is we had a an FD many years ago, wonderful, wonderful lady, and she talked about this three times rule, and you realise that you know everything in life on a business level takes three times longer costs three times more expensive and is three times more difficult than you ever possibly imagine. <laughs> and actually, that's been quite true for us as a business. But on a personal level, I think it's more, I think you, whatever you do, whether it's riding a bike or doing an adventure or set up a business, it's, you've got to have that passion. And it sounds very obvious, but if you don't have that passion, there's so many highs and lows along the way. You'll get to a, another sort of uphill phase and you just won't, get to the top because you're you're you yeah. don't have that passion to get you through and that gives you the grit to to really want it you've got to really really want it and uh, passion helps you get through that yeah that three times rule is a good one if you're ever yeah. trying to write well, a business plan sounds like when you're when you're doing an extension to your house as well it's, it's, it's the three yeah, time rule you can well. apply it to everything yeah, that's right it's yeah. brilliant you can apply it when you go to the pub you know, I think we should drink three times as much stay here three times longer <laughs> three times longer yeah. I get three times the amount of abuse from my wife when I get home <laughs> definitely applies to this podcast working with you as well three times harder than and you, and you thought it was going to be hard to start with just moan 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 see that kind of attitude just doesn't get people anywhere no, I'll uh, yeah, I'll go and have a word with myself. Well, look, Nick, 
Write a letter to yourself. That's, yeah. Three times. A rude one. It's in triplicate. Uh, Nick, it's been absolute pleasure to have you. Well, thank you, boys, for having me. No, and really, really lovely seeing you guys again. And here's to the next adventures. Yeah. Yeah, let's get planning. What's next? What is next? What's coming up, Charlie? What's on the agenda over the next Um, few weeks for you? Yeah, where are you off next? What's your big adventure? Next, well, well, I've got Africa coming up in September, which is a little bit of way away, and so I'm taking a bunch of people through Africa again, which is fantastic. How does Ollie feel? Oh, yeah, but the last one was in Africa. (laughs) (laughs) I woke up in hospital. Uh, Number of, number of, many hours later. Number of lungs down. uh, Number of lung down and and all sorts of stuff. No, I mean, it, that's really good. And then I've got, I think I'm going to do a TV show in um, in Ireland. So that's all going well. What about you? What's your next big watch? We're opening a, a boutique within LA, but within the bike shed. Oh yes, that's right. Because it's opening up next month, isn't it? So so we'll be out there. I think Giles out there April, I'm out there May. So if anyone's out there, come and please do come to say hello. That'd be quite fun. It's an amazing setup out there, 20,000 oh, square feet of, it's incredible. you know, unadulterated sort of, motorcycle bliss it's isn't a, it it's, it's, it's where you would go for the ultimate sort of pawn shop for bicycle it is it is you would go there and, and that's it's not got PAWN that's not PAWN <laughs> um, and Bremont are, are doing anything they're, they're opening up the 8th of this coming month um, and, uh, and they've been through the challenges April, with yeah. trying April, to get this thing yeah. open because of COVID but now it's open it looks incredible and Dutch and Nick and yeah. Vicky have done an amazing job there they've done the most incredible job so it's it, and it's got just it's the place it's right in the centre of LA where, where west meets east and it's, it's a great like in California it's always nice to have a destination place so I might place, see you out there it? then 100% yeah if you have enjoyed this podcast and you're, uh, you've enjoyed hearing about Bremen Watches do check out the website and if you do feel like you want to buy a watch, which I'd highly recommend, um, just uh, drop uh, drop Nick uh, a little Instagram message with a photo of the watch you've bought and say you heard about it on The Nod. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening to The Nod, a mindful motorcycle podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Do make sure you subscribe to get your alerts when the next show is released. Head over to our webpage, motorcyclenews.com forward slash the nod, where all the links to previous episodes can be found. Don't forget to buy your nod coffee to drink whilst listening to the next episode. We'll be back next week with another guest from the wide world of motorcycling subculture. Join us next time, and until then, stay safe, be kind, and check in with a mate.